You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. What an incredible worship service we've had so far. Thank you so much for everybody who's come out to, dare we say, our banquet here. I've been fully fed already spiritually. I don't know about you. Uh, I want to thank, first of all, Lisa for sharing what the cross meant to her. It was so encouraging and moving. I don't know about you. Again, I feel very, very fed. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for your sacrifice and your heart to share with God's people. I don't know if you saw the difference in Anthony and Cassidy right there. Uh, Just an incredible, incredible amount of faith to not only go through that amount of suffering, but Cassidy went back to church the same, or or the week after right there. uh, Not the same day. Same Sunday. Oh, okay, that's right. The same Sunday after the surgery, she went to church. Uh, Wow, what what an incredible young woman of God. Uh, What an incredible couple God has given us. Uh, I'm so honored. Uh, I, I love every one of you. Uh, you are my family. Uh, This is my family. This is my family. You guys are all that I have. You're all I want. You're all I need. The kingdom of God. You know, um, I I don't know if you were uh, moved by the great wedding celebration last night. But it, it, it really moved me, and, and, you know, I'm still moved about it today. And so, you know, I've been studying this passage of Scripture that I'd like to share with you for our lesson today, if I can share it with you. If we can turn over to Matthew chapter 22, we're going to dig on into the great wedding banquet. I've entitled today's lesson very simply, Come to the Wedding Banquet. Come to the Wedding Banquet. Speaking of banquets and speaking of weddings, I had to uh, ask you a few questions uh, as it relates to weddings. Uh, Maybe you've heard about the two spiders that got engaged recently. Yeah, they met on the web. One of Frank's jokes from last night. And if you haven't heard, then maybe you've heard about the two cell phones that got married right there. Apple and, and, and an Android. They, they actually hooked on up and they got married right there. I heard their reception was incredible. That's another one of Frank's jokes right there. Um, you know, our leaders are always encouraging us as Christians to be writing right there and to, you know, write, write down the notes of the lesson and everything. And I don't know if you heard about the female notepad or the female quiet time journal, dare we say, that married the pen. Uh, of course, she found Mr. Wright. Mr. Wright, right there. Um, and, and and as I looked at last night's wedding, I was I was glad it wasn't as they as they say back in the day. I'm glad it wasn't a shotgun wedding. Could have been a case of wife or death right there if it was a wife or death. That actually was a Michael Hart joke right there. That was a Michael Hartman right there. I love being in the kingdom of God. You gotta love to celebrate right there. 
I love the fact that this parable is a celebration right there until you start digging on in. And I, I, I thought last night's wedding was incredible. It was uh, inspirational. Uh, and dare we say, uh, there was so much laughter that was going on. And we were just joking and having a good time. And, uh, and I believe God is a God of laughter. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you were laughing at Frank last night or laughing with Frank with the jokes right there. Uh, but, but we serve a God of laughter and he wants us to be laughing. Of course, uh, I don't know. Did you get a chance to eat some of the food? The food was great. And uh, dare we say uh, what was great about that banquet is uh, you left with a full belly and you even got a chance to get some seconds right there. And uh, I pray today you leave with a full belly of faith. And that maybe, maybe, maybe if you, you, you aren't full, you, you do get full. And if you do get full, then you come back for seconds right there. Matthew chapter 22, the great wedding banquet. I've got three points for you. I'll give them to you right early. Point number one, preoccupation with God's invitation. Number two, provocation produces decimation. And number three, explanation with no rationalization or no hesitation. Matthew chapter 22. We'll dig on in. You guys still with me here? Don't fall asleep on me now, guys. I'm going to give you everything I got. You got to give me back right there, okay? Here we go. Matthew 22. <laughs> Verse 1. Can you slow it down for Anthony here? Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Now, a lot of times when we study the Bible, we, we, we sometimes you can go through the different gospel accounts and you can see a variance or a difference right there. And sometimes there's variance. Sometimes there's different. Sometimes it's a completely different story. And of course, when Luke tells this story, a lot of commentators as I was studying this, they, oh, look at the Bible's making mistakes. No, no, no. The Bible makes no mistakes. Luke's commentary or Luke's account is totally a different banquet, a different story. And, and we know because in Luke's account, it's really more about making an excuse and instead of, dare we say, making a disciple. <laughs> it's about really making excuses, and it talks about this man, and then it goes on. Well, in Matthew's account, it doesn't say that. It talks about a king, and it talks about a son. We know the king is God Almighty, and we know the son is the son of God, Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Or verse 3. says, he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fattened cattle have been butchered. And everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. He says, I've, I've got the food, everything's prepared. All I want you to do is just to come to the banquet. But they paid no attention. Went off, one to his field and another to his business. He says, I got to work at Foxton's. And so he went off to his business. <laughs> the rest seized his servants, 
mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. I mean, when the king hears of this, he uses an army as a discipline. Verse 8. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet's ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners. Invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when a king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. See, it was customary at that time, if the, you were invited to a banquet, you were given the right garments to wear. They were often white. And so he comes to this, this wedding banquet and, and somebody doesn't have on the right clothes. The Bible says, in verse 12, he questions the man. He says, friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? I mean, it's an incredible wedding where everyone's dressed the same, but somebody got in without the clothing. I'm just reading the Bible. I'm just, I'm just sitting there and I'm going, wow. That means everybody else, they, they must not have noticed, paid attention, or, or somehow they, they were fooled into thinking someone who did not have the clothes on was someone who was invited. But this person doesn't have the clothes and they're there. Doesn't say they're outside wanting to come in. They're there. What was the man's response? Well, let's find out. The Bible says, the man was speechless. <laughs> nothing to say. He's just like, oh, I'm gone. <laughs> the king told the attendants, tie him, hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. And the church said, is this not a, an incredible passage of scripture? I mean, you just see the insights already. You see God speaking through those who totally did not accept the invitation and God sent an army. You see the man who was totally speechless before the, the king, before God. Why? Because there are no excuses with God. No rationalization, no explanation, no hesitation when you refuse God. You will be speechless when you stand before God. No explanation of your past. I so appreciated Lisa talking about victimization. No great explanation. There will be nothing to say when we stand before the king 
who's invited us to his incredible celebration, his incredible banquet, if we have not accepted his invitation to join and celebrate. You know, it's so powerful looking at this text and seeing very clearly here that uh, it, it begins as an awesome wedding and then it gets super challenging right at the end of it. It's like, oh my goodness, this guy gets tied hand and feet. Um, and I think there, there is a, when it comes to the call of God, there, 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 we, we live in a time of preoccupation. Preoccupation, where people are preoccupied with everything else but God's invitation to become a true Christian, a true disciple. And I think our preoccupation, can, it can be a paralysis. <laughs> of course, what is the definition of paralysis? It's the loss of the ability to move some or all of the body. <laughs> if there's one thing I don't want to happen to me, is where I get too preoccupied to evangelize. Too preoccupied with whatever else. <laughs> and there's a lot of things that can preoccupy us. <laughs> that can steal our motivation for inviting people to the great wedding banquet. The kingdom of God. You know, I studied a scripture this week. Had a Bible study with a, a, a man. And we looked at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. And we looked at the story of worry. And of course, Jesus says, hey, don't, don't, don't worry. Seek first what? The kingdom and his righteousness. Of course, the word worry means to be, in Greek, it means to be torn apart. But it also means something else. It means to be consumed with anxiety. It means to go in a, a different direction. It says, don't go in a different direction. Come to the kingdom. Don't be consumed with anxiety. Come to the kingdom. Don't be torn apart by worry about everything else that we can be preoccupied with. Come to my great wedding banquet. Don't be pulled in a different direction. I think there are three things that can really preoccupy us. Money, power, and sex. Those are the things I believe that are preoccupying the world from accepting the call of God. Being too preoccupied with money. This, this was a weakness for me. Being too preoccupied with God's standard for a pure and holy relationship with another, with the opposite sex. We've gone so far that we're changing it. We're changing genders. We're changing what it means to be a man. We're changing what it means to be a woman. There's even television shows. I saw just last night a television show called Lost in Transition. Men who want to transition into being women. And that just makes me sad. Seeing how preoccupied we become as a society. Thinking about how preoccupied with power we are as a society. Wanting our own control. Just wanting what we think is right to be right instead of what God says is right is right. You know, you do what's right not because it's something you want to do. You do what's right because it's right. You know, I'm so uh, encouraged today that we have a, a, a young man who's not too preoccupied to be evangelized. Yeah. 
He's not too preoccupied to, to take a stop and go, wait, God is inviting me to become a true man of God. And today is great because I, I was talking to Frank uh, and he says, you know, today Sam has come to become a true disciple. I'm sorry, not Sam. Sam is. We're going to talk about that one a little bit later. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And it was funny because I was, I was in a study with him. I go, bro, I'm studying with this guy named Emmanuel. He, he could become a disciple. He said, no, I'm studying with Emmanuel. Well, my Emmanuel is still working it out with his invitation right there. But Emmanuel's come to become a true disciple today. He's come to, to, to be baptized. And uh, I spoke with him a little bit earlier. Uh, of course, he is Nigerian right there. And uh, he does speak a little bit of German, so I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing. Uh, he does play the bass guitar right there, so I still don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's studying chemical engineering, but he's not too busy to say, I need to be evangelized. I want to join the wedding celebration. He will be baptized today. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's great to see people come to faith. Uh, it's so encouraging when someone says, hey, I, I got to get this done right away. Uh, I, I'm so encouraged to see Ian here today. Uh, Ian is a man who's traveled the world looking for the kingdom of God. But we studied with him just a week ago, and he, he is a sold-out disciple today. And, you know, I love Ian because, you know, he, he gets open about his sins. He goes, you know, one of my biggest weaknesses I'm going to have is I'm, I'm going to want to invite so many people to church. You're going to have to help me with my selfish ambition right there. I go, that's, that's pretty awesome sin to struggle with right there, brother. <laughs> Wanting to invite too many people to the wedding banquet right there. Uh, and it's awesome to have you as a sold-out brother in the movement of God and the kingdom of God. Number two, provocation produces decimation. Provocation produces decimation. In verse four, it says he sent some more servants and said, tell those I've invited that, hey, I've, I've prepared my dinner. My ox and my fattened calf, cattle have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. They paid no attention. One off to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was slightly bothered by that. No. The king accepted that. No, the king is God in the story. The king got what? He got angry. <laughs> because they were provoking him to anger. By their lack of acceptance to his incredible, awesome banquet. <laughs> He says the king was enraged. And instead of the king sending any, any discipline, the Holy Spirit says the king sent a specific discipline, an army. Says he sent his army and destroyed those murderers. Now we got to understand, the Jews would remember being, being decimated by armies. Being totally taken out by armies. Um... They, they, they were rejecting the call of God. And they, they, they would know, they would remember all of history, all of Israel's history, how it was armies that would come in and discipline God's people. When they would refuse to obey him, when they would 
reject him. We, 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 you know, it, it doesn't feel too awesome when you get rejected right there. Some of us know how that feels right there. Right, brothers? <laughs> you know, it's, 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 uh, it's encouraging to live in a Christian household, to have a godly Christian wife. But it's equally encouraging to have godly children. And, um, you know, so, so great last week I had a talk with Mia, my five-year-old daughter. And, uh, you know, she said, Dad, if everybody believes in God, that's good. I said, that's right. She goes, they go to heaven. I go, that's right, Mia. She goes, if everybody doesn't believe in God, they don't go to heaven. I go, that's right, Mia. They go, yeah, they go to hell. That's right, Mia. That's right. She goes, what if mommy loves God, daddy loves God, and Michael loves God, but Mia doesn't love God? <laughs> I'm your old kid said this to me. I go, well, then you will not go to heaven, Mia. She goes, yeah, but you can teach me about God, and I want to go right there. <laughs> I <was> like, whoa! <laughs> She's only five! <laughs> At five years old, she understands you do not reject God. And she's only five. You know what's so powerful is weddings were always a symbol of God and his people. It was always a symbol. God would use himself to be the groom and Israel to be the bride. And, and, and God knew that there would be a time where people would reject him. He knew this from the beginning of time. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3 says, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we feel that way, right, church? For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in, in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of the glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through the Holy Spirit, right? No, you're not saved by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you're saved by the blood of Jesus. <laughs> he says the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And the church said, Amen. he tells the Ephesians, right? He says, hey guys. God has already predestined this. He's already, before the creation of the world, it's, it's a staggering thought to think that before the creation of the world, God knew he would have to send his son, his son would have to die, and then he would have to redeem his people through his own son. God knew that at the, at the, before time began. And then what's awesome is, is down in verse 13, it says this, for all you singles that are in the house, this is a little nugget for you. He says in the middle of verse 13, he says, when you believe, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. He says, when you got baptized, you got a seal. You got the Holy Spirit. And then he explains what the Holy Spirit's like. He says, the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What was the seal in the first century? The seal showed ownership. The seal showed authenticity. So when he gave the Holy Spirit, he showed, hey, God owns you. You are authentic because you have the Holy Spirit. 
But he also says the spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So something that's going to happen later on. Of course, the Greek word for guarantee is arboroam. In modern Greek, it means a down payment. Or in better terms, it means an engagement ring. So he says, when you became a baptized disciple, you got the seal of the Holy Spirit, which shows you are authentic, you are a true disciple, and it is your engagement ring until you get to heaven and be in the real wedding banquet with Jesus Christ. So if you're single, you're engaged. <laughs> Turn to Genesis chapter 1. You know, this is one of my favorite prophecies that Jesus knew that, hey, I'd have to send my son to die for the people and redeem him. Of course, in Genesis chapter one, my, I mean, I've never heard this. It just, it encourages me, encourages me to this day. The Bible says in verse one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse two says, now the earth was formless and empty. I pray that's not your Bible talk right there. <laughs> Says darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Of course, the Bible in, in the beginning was not written in the English language. Of course, in the English language, we use a lot of words to say stuff. <laughs> the Hebrew language gets right down to it. The very first word of the Bible, when it was written, is the word barashit. Now, in the English language, it is in the beginning. We use three words. The Hebrews just said, one word says in the beginning, and it's the word barashit. Barashit. Now what's powerful about this is that if you took all of the letters that are in the name or the first word of the Bible, barashit, they actually have a sign or a picture that's associated with each letter. As we, we, we see how pictures tell us a story. We look there, we see the man going down, and that, that, that there's no word there, but we know it means, hey, you go down the steps right there. Well, in the Hebrew language, you had pictures that would validate some of the letters. And of course, in the first letter here, uh, the first word of the Bible, about a sheet, if you broke down each one of the letters, they would be this. The first letter would be Bet and Resh. The second letter would be Aleph. The third letter would be Shin. The fourth letter would be Yod. The next would be Tav. Well, if you take the word Bet and Resh and you look at its picture and its meaning, it, said, it means son of. If you take the second letter, it's God the first. You take the third letter, Shin, it's to destroy. You take the fourth letter, Y-O-D, it means by his own hand. You take the last letter of the word Barashit, it's, it's Tav, it means on the cross. So if you put them all together in a sentence, the very first word of the Holy Bible says the Son of God will be destroyed by his own hand on a cross. There were no crosses in Genesis chapter 1. That wasn't introduced until the Persians came into play. And don't tell me a Hebrew rabbi just weaved that on in there accidentally. God knew before time that he'd have to redeem his people for being the unfaithful bride and invite them to his wedding banquet. You know, I so encouraged to see uh, Denzel and Tulee get married. But I tell you, the thing that got me was that kiss. That kiss! Woo! That kiss was... <laughs> the steam just coming off. It was that was a very passionate kiss. That was the kiss of like years of 
purity and righteousness coming out. And man, I, I just, you know, I mean, that was, that was a godly wedding. Because the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Uh, you know, Denzel and Tulee felt no shame. You know, I looked at the kiss and he said, you may kiss the... And Kobe, did not Kobe do an awesome job at the lesson last night? He did an awesome job. And, uh, and he says, you may kiss the bride. And, and, and Denzel just goes in like, and he lands. And, and, and there, there, there's, there's Tulee and she, she accepts. And, and they give the kiss. And then we're like, awesome. And then I, I go, awesome. Awesome? Whoa, this is, oh my goodness. This is, something's happening right here. This may have helped the love life of the marriage more than the marriage retreat right there. I don't know. Um, turn back to Matthew chapter 22. You know, at wedding banquets, you know what's so cool about the banquet is all the fun and all the food and everything. I don't know about you. I had a good time. And, uh, you know, I, I believe uh, when we get to heaven, we will have a great feast. And, uh, you know, of course, I talked to Denzel. I said, bro, who's cooking the food? He said, my mom's cooking the food. And he got those eyes that you get when your mom's cooking the food. My mom's cooking the food. Right there. It's like, okay, bro. Why? I said, you want to? No, my mother is cooking the food. Bro, don't you worry. Uh, and, of course, I didn't worry because I don't know what I ate, but I ate every bit of it last night. Um... And I thought about it, and I was like, you know, his mom took some time to cook the food. And uh, she cranked it out, and she, she did an amazing job. Krista made the, made the, uh, the, the, the cupcakes. And I knew I was in trouble when I heard that Krista made the, the wedding cake. I said, I'm going to eat two or three pieces of this thing. Her cakes are so good. And uh, thank, praise Jesus, I only ate one right there, so amen. Um... But as I was thinking about the wedding banquet and, and rejecting the message and, and provoking God by not accepting his invitation, I, I thought about Denzel's mom and how much effort she put into the food. I thought about Krista and how much effort she puts into the cake. I, I thought about what, what, if they, what if Denzel's mom put all this effort into the, 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 the banquet and no one showed up. Wow, she'd be pretty ticked off. And that's just Denzel's mom. <laughs> that's not our Father God in heaven. In verse 7, God gives his feeling when we reject his great invitation to the wedding banquet. And if you're here for the first time, you're invited to join us in the kingdom of God. He says in verse 7, he sent his army to destroy those murderers. God disciplines with armies. God disciplines with war. Specifically in the Old Testament, he would discipline God's people for their rejection. The, old, the, the, the ten northern tribes that consistently continued to reject. So this parable is not just about just somebody here in modern day. He's preaching that there's, there's a lot of depth in this wedding banquet parable right here. He's talking about how in the Old Testament, they consistently rejected him. And how the ten tribes in the north, they rejected him so much that he had to send an army to discipline them so that they would go into exile. And of course, that was the Assyrians. Why did he discipline them? Well, in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, the Bible just says there was no remedy. 
They did not want to change. So he used an army to discipline them because they kept rejecting his call. When we reject the call of God, we're declaring war with God. Of course, in this particular case, God would send another army. It would happen in May. It would not be until September the 8th, 1970, where Emperor Titus actually would come and totally decimate the city. Totally took out Jerusalem. You say, well, how many people did he take out? Well, it was estimated that there were 1.1 million people in Jerusalem when Titus attacked. And we know the Jews were the ones who rejected God. Are you guys with me here? So it was estimated 1.1 million people in the city. Well, how many people died? When God sent the army because of the rejection he faced when people did not want to accept. Well, of the 1.1 million, 1 million people died. Babies, men, women, decimated. History records that the Jews not only lost all these people, but the other 100,000 were totally enslaved. It also records that the zealots who were trying to fight against the Romans at that time, they thought, hey, you know what? We're going to be really radical. We're just, we're, God's going to see, and we're just, we're just going to burn our whole food supply. <laughs> and God's going to see our total commitment and, and, and come and vindicate us. And history records that that was even worse than, it, than, than, than Titus's decimation of Israel. The zealots that were burning the food supply. You can't be committed to commitment. You've got to be committed to God. Provocation produces God's anger when we refuse his invitation. He sends an army. And I, I, I think about it nowadays. I think about the political issues that are going on right now. And I go, wow, it is so awesome to be in the kingdom of God. It's so awesome to be in this great wedding banquet, the church. Now, when he invites people, back in Matthew chapter 22, you guys still with me here? He, uh, the Bible just says he invites the good and the bad. He says he goes out to the street corner, servants goes out, and he gathers all people he can find, the good ones and the bad ones. So he had, he had some good people that came on in and some bad people. Any, any bad people? Can you raise your hands right there? Aren't we all bad right there? I was, I was bad, man. Whew. I was the worst. Pornography, impurity, dishonesty, lying insecurity, you name it, prejudice, racism, I had it all. Everything was in. I, I came to church being filled with false teaching from my childhood. I had my grandfather was a pro-black preacher. Everything he preached had some kind of black twist on it right there. Everything. I mean, from six years old, he'd say something. He couldn't just read the scripture. He had to put a little, like a black twist. Of, give me, give me, give me that black Bible, Michael. <laughs> And he talked in a preacher's voice. It's a black day. <laughs> we, go, we go shopping. You know, we'd be in the store. I'm a little kid. He'd go, look at this. Look at, come here, let me show you something. Look at this. The green olives are in a jar. The black olives are in a can. It's racial. <laughs> he like, poor, he like, preached that stuff to me. So I, I, I just thought, you know, you come, oh, I'm a black man. I need a black woman. I need a black. I came to church with that. I, I'm, I'm, look, I look, I'm black, black, black man, black. And then I look in the mirror, I go, yeah, I am pretty black. I mean, I'm like violet blue on some, like sunny days. I'm just like glowing right there. I'm like, man, I'm a dark man. And 
And I, it was so awesome. It, it just moved me coming to church, seeing a great banquet, seeing all nations. It, it shocked me. And even as I look out, I just see an array of all nations. I see, I see, I see white, black, Asian, London, England. Those are two different countries right there. <laughs> and we're all here because we, we just want to go to heaven. We, we want to be in the kingdom of God. And see, 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 the gospel breaks down racial barriers. Look at Acts chapter 8. Check this one out. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. It says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And a eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in my way? Or in other translations, why shouldn't I be baptized? <laughs> and he gave orders to stop the chariot. He says, I don't even need to wait till I get back home. Stop the chariot right now. There was an urgency because of the emergency. It says, when he came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch didn't see him again, went on his way rejoicing. Of course, Philip is not a Ethiopian. He would be Jew. The eunuch would be a man of color, a black guy. And a black guy gets baptized. And so we see that, that, that when, they, when they began to preach, the first century Christians, they, they took, the gospel breaks down racial barriers. It wasn't like, Philip was like, well, it's easy, my race or anything. No, no, no. No, this guy is seeking God. I'm going to preach the word to him. And a eunuch gets baptized. I mean, I, I believe that's what Denzel and Tuli's wedding was up for. It just showed just the racial barriers being brought down. And I love mom. Mom said, you know, he had to travel all the way past Nigeria. All the way past this country. All the way. And then go all the way to Asia. To find a woman. And I, I, love, I love when they came together. I don't, did you guys see their outfits, how they wore them, how they switched them up? Wasn't that cool right there? I was just like, man, that's that so awesome. I mean, she came and she had her, you know, little Vietnamese African queen. She came like this. And, and Denzel came out with the Asian uh, little thing on, like, like, like Denzel Lee right there. Like, not Bruce Lee. <laughs> you know, and he came out with the thing like that. I said, man, that is awesome. And uh, I love Tu Lee's response. Because the mom said, but when I spoke to her. She said, whatever I have to do, if I, if I have to learn how to make jollof rice <laughs> to win him, awesome. She, that was the, the, and she says, I just fell in love with her right away. I just fell in love with her right away. You know you're in the right church when the gospel they preach breaks down racial barriers. You know you're in the kingdom of God. You know you're at a great wedding celebration. When you see the gospel just breaking down all of those barriers. Well, if you look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 12, it says, When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. You know, the gospel breaks down sexual barriers between gender. There are no gender barriers with the gospel. Not, not at Jesus' wedding banquet. Not in Jesus' church. There are no barriers. That's why you see the sisters up here sharing because they are equally important in God's eyes. That there is no such thing as the brothers are more important. This, no, no. Not in the great wedding. Not in the kingdom of God. We all have value right there in the kingdom of God. And you see, they broke down those, 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 those barriers between men and women. And this is a powerful thing. Very, very powerful. 
Because I, I really believe women need to be elevated. It was Jesus Christ that elevated women. That said women are of value. Why did those guys reject Matthew ch- er, chapter 22? They rejected because they thought, you know, and a lot, here's, you want me to tell you the reason why a lot of, lot of, lot of men don't come to church? Because they think it's for women and kids. They think it's for the women and kids. But not at this, uh, this celebration. Not at this banquet. You, you go ask Ian. Ian goes, no, the gospel's for me. You go ask Emmanuel. The gospel's for me. You go ask any one of these men here. The gospel is for us. Are you with me here? And of course, you ask the sisters and they're like, we're sold out to you. Amen. Gospel breaks down those, those gender barriers right there. The gospel breaks down socioeconomic barriers. Look at this one here. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Of course, they go and they find this guy that was crippled. It says one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. What time was that? Three o'clock. That's when Jesus Christ was crucified. It says that three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he's put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him and <laughs> did John. Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk, taken by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. He went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. (laughs) I mean, he's just so, so excited about being saved. What's the point? Acts chapter 8, you have a rich Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 3, you have a poor beggar. Two totally different people. See, the gospel breaks down socioeconomic barriers right there. There are no socioeconomic barriers. You can be a poor beggar and be in the great banquet, be in the kingdom of God. You can be a rich guy. You can still see you're not rich unless you're rich in Christ and you get the right clothes and you become a true disciple and join the banquet. I like this one, Acts chapter 17, verse 33. Let's go to Athens. This was the academic center at that time and this was, dare we say, the intellectual capital. The Bible says in verse 33, Paul preaches the word there in Athens. It says in verse 33, it says that that, at that Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus. Also a woman named Demarius and a number of others. Now you see the gospel is breaking down the intellectual barriers that are out there. Those who think, well, the gospel is, it's not for me. I'm an intellectual. I'm rational. And let me tell you something. Our God is a rational God. He didn't emotionally create the earth. He didn't emotionally create DNA. No, he rationally thought about it. He is our great intelligent designer. And yet you see right here, it's just great because he's, you know, the gospel's getting into the intellectual capital. You know, it's so great today that we have, and of course, Dionysus and this awesome cranking intellectual lady gets converted. And, you know, today we, we, we want the gospel to break down the intellectual barriers on UCL. At Oxford University, that was started by Christians at first. We want the gospel to break down. Let me tell you, the gospel is breaking the wall down today because we have an incredible, intellectual, awesome young sister to be who's a physics major at the University College London. 
Vitrix right there sitting in the front row with the beautiful gold. She's come. She's going to get baptized. She's not going to ref- She's not refusing the invitation. She's going to become a true disciple. And she's got her, her dad with her. He looks more like her brother. But that's awesome. And, uh, of course, in Acts chapter 28, Paul just says, hey, you Jews don't like the... the, the, the you, you Jews want to reject it? I'll go to the Gentiles. I'll go to the Gentiles. I'll preach to them. And so you see the gospel breaks down political barriers. Political barriers. In Jesus' great wedding banquet, he breaks down the political barriers. He says it doesn't matter if you're conservative or labor. In the kingdom, all those barriers get broken down. He doesn't matter if you're, you're, you're Democrat or Republican. He says... The kingdom, the gospel breaks those barriers down. At God's great ba- wedding banquet, that, that does not matter. He says, it doesn't matter if you're from Nornarn. That's Northern Ireland right there. Nornarn. Is that, is that how they do it right there? Nornarn. So it doesn't matter if you're from Nornarn or Southern Ireland. The gospel breaks down all political barriers. That's only if we accept the gospel. Well, let's go to our last point. Explanation with no rationalization or hesitation. Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22. The great wedding banquet. I was studying this and I was sitting here and I go, this one hits me. Verse 12, Jesus comes to him and says, friend, he asks, how'd you get in here without any wedding clothes? And the Bible just says the man was speechless. Why speechless? Again, you will not have any excuses when you come before God. You will not be able to explain your way out of it, rationalize your way out of it, or hesitate. The Bible says he was Speechless. There are no excuses for rejecting God. It also says earlier that he, he, or, or it says he didn't have the clothes on. Wedding clothes. Man, he didn't have the wedding clothes on. What, 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 what's that mean? Well, I know you guys know the scripture. It's in Zephaniah chapter 1. Of course. But I'll read it to you for those of you that... I know you were thinking of that one already. So I'll read it. <clears throat> Zephaniah chapter 1 says be silent before the sovereign Lord for the day of the Lord is near the Lord has prepared a sacrifice he has consecrated those he has invited on the day of the Lord's sacrifice foreshadowing in the death of Jesus I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all those clad in foreign clothes see what happened back here is that Judah did not like wearing the clothes that made them look separate from all the other nations. They wanted to dress and look just like every other nation. And so they they wanted those foreign clothes. You know the clothes that can be worn nowadays. You can clothe yourself in bitterness. You know, because you've had it so bad. Well, you, you go to Chennai and India and maybe you think differently. You can clothe yourself in greed. You can clothe yourself in criticism, negative thinking. And you can just be clothed in all the things that the world is clothed in. 
And we see this foreshadowing of clothing. He says on that day, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold who fill the temple with their gods, with the violence and deceit. Foreign clothing. Not having the clothing, but being at the wedding banquet. Um, we know the garments that we wear are the garments of salvation. The garments of righteousness, of purity. Um, and if there's one thing that's so special about the kingdom of God is there's no sin that you can do or get open about and not be forgiven. <laughs> that encourages me personally a lot. I don't know about you. <laughs> Maybe you're more righteous than I. But I like that you can blow it, be sitting in the fellowship, not clothed in the right clothes and the clothes of salvation are on you even though nobody really notices. But you can get open, you can get right, and you can get right with God. You know, today we have a, an incredible young woman who says, you know, I, I, I don't want to just be sitting at the banquet. You know what's interesting? The guy was speechless. He could have spoken up. He could have said, I've been sitting here this whole time. Can, can, I see you guys having the food. Can I have something to eat too? I need some help. He could have said something. He had time to speak up. But when God came, he was speechless. Because when God comes, there'll be no explanation, no hesitation, no rationalization. But I thought, I'd go, man, he had time to get right. And so the scriptures are here to give us a guide, to lead us, to help us to go, hey, you could be sitting here even today without the clothes of righteousness on. But you can speak up. And not be speechless. And you know, we had a young woman say, hey, you know, I, there, there are sins that I was involved in. I was dishonest about my baptism. I've fallen into impurities as a Christian. I've sat at church. I've sang the songs. I've not been a true disciple. She repented. She confessed. She studied with the sisters. And Samarina is going to be baptized today. <laughs> See, the man was speechless. But we can speak up. We can speak up. You know, if you've come for the first time, we want you to join the celebration. We want you to join the great banquet. And, uh, you know, of course, at the end of this incredible story, we're not going to end there. I'm not going to leave you guys with this, this guy tied and bound and everything. Because that's a really depressing way to end a sermon right here. Um, but there is a lesson in that. I'm sure you guys caught it. He's tied. He's bound. You will not escape the judgment of God. As for free. Now, let's end on a good note. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Of course, this is the bride. And if you noticed in the text, in Matthew chapter 22, right at the end, the bride never shows. I don't know if you caught that. The bride never comes. Why? Because the bride is the church. And God had not sent his Holy Spirit yet for the church to begin in Acts chapter 2. But there's a deeper meaning. The bride is not only the church here, but the bride is the church that will be taken to heaven. And there'll be a great celebration. It says in Revelation chapter 21, in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. 
He says the church is dressed in the robes of righteousness and we cannot let anything steal our righteousness. We can't let fear of man steal our righteousness. We can't let financial sacrifice steal our righteousness. We can't let a lack of commitment and a willingness to come to the meetings of the body steal our sacrifice. So that when God comes back, we can speak up. We can be prepared for God to take us to heaven. He says, saw the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. And they'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. Wow. Some people make it into heaven with tears. Some people just go, wow, I made it. Mom didn't make it. But I made it. My brother didn't make it. But I made it. My best friend didn't make it. God, I made it to your bank. I made it. I got a call from one of my relatives. My brother is, is sick, ill, struggling. Tried to preach the word. I don't want to hear it. I thought, you know, if I, if, I, if I just make it to heaven with those tears, when I get to that great celebration, there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more tears. You could be crying today, internally or externally. Join the celebration. And when you get to heaven, this incredible celebration, there'll be no more tears. In closing, when the one whose hand you're holding is the one who holds your heart. When the one whose eyes you gaze into gives your hopes and dreams their start. When the one you think of first and last is the one who holds you tight. And the things you plan together make the whole world seem just right. When the one whom you believe in puts their faith and trust in you, you found the one and only love you'll share your whole life through. Let's go to heaven and take as many people with us as possible. To God be all the glory. Amen. Let's all stand. We are going to sing a song. Let's give Michael another round of applause for an amazing sermon. That was fantastic. Thank you, Michael. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one.